Hey everybody, welcome to an all new Beer and Loathing. This one was taped on Monday, October 19th, 2015. Let's get to it. Welcome to everybody who's tuning in on Meerkat right now. Welcome to everybody who's listening to this on the podcast. It's Beer and Loathing. I think this is our 16th episode of all time. This is our Sweet 16 party tonight. We're at a bar just around the corner from where I live. I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that, actually, but uh, I'm not supposed to give that information away. Although you don't know where the... Anyway, we're in New York City somewhere. Uh, you all know how this works by now. Our, our usual moderator, Jeff, is... Uh, he was here earlier. He, he, he goes for runs on uh, Monday night. He goes for runs every night. He's a fanatical runner. He, he stopped by... And I didn't. I hadn't formally invited him tonight, and I felt yeah. I, I didn't want to bother him, and I I think we miscommunicated. So I'm not sure if he's gonna if he's gonna show up. But if he doesn't, Adam Naboa, our producer, our ace producer, who also works with me at MSNBC, he's sitting across the table from me. He will be monitoring the Meerkat stream. He's gonna all the questions you have, all the comments you have. We're gonna make sure you guys are a part of this show because we love having you tune in and everything. And um, I'm really excited. Everybody's tuning in for this tonight. Uh, and uh, we have a special guest, as always. You know how this works. I'm going to introduce our guests. We're going to talk. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about the media. We're going to do icebreaker questions. We're going to talk philosophy, life, love, everything. It's, it's all on the table. That's how, uh, that's how beer and loathing works. So our guest tonight, actually, I used to work with him. Uh, we worked uh, at the New York Observer together for, I'm going to guess, three years. That sounds, you know, give or take three years. Although... It's not, it's not one of these things. I know we had one of my other coworkers from Salon on before where we had all these stories about, you know, in the office, she, she gave me vodka one day and all this. I wasn't in the office that much when I, when I worked at the Observer. So we, we don't have a lot of office bonding stories, but, but he was, um, you know, I, I was covering mostly national politics, but a lot of times there'd be, it would intersect with New York politics or I would, there'd be a big New York story and my editor would want me to write about it. And whenever that happened, the first person I would call or the first person I would email would always be Ozzy. Oh boy, I wasn't supposed to hit that. That was too dramatic. Ozzy Pabra, um, who is was and is, uh, in my mind, uh, the best political reporter uh, covering New York City. Uh, everything about New York City politics, from the mayor on down to local city council stuff. Uh, he knows it. He knows the history of it. He knows the players right now. Um, I could call him up and ask him about any election that was playing out, and I got the perfect sort of. Uh, this would especially help. I would sometimes go on NY1, which is the local 24-hour um, you know, cable news station here in New York. They got them all over the country. In Boston, they call it New England Cable News. Every, every city, every state has one. So New York City has NY1, and they do a, a, a reporter's roundtable thing every Friday, and they would invite me on. And it would be about a lot of it would be heavy New York City stuff that, frankly, I wasn't too familiar with. So I would always call Ozzy for that, and he would brief me, and then I would actually say something that sounded mostly intelligent. Uh, I would still find a way to screw it up a little bit. But anyway, Ozzy Paper, and now he is the senior political reporter for, and I always, I always want to say Capital New York, but it is now, it's Politico New York. So it was a site, it was a site that was actually started by my former, by Ozzy and I's, our, our former editors from, uh, from Salon, from uh, the New York Observer. They left and they started their own site about five years ago. They called it Capital New York. Uh, they just slowly built it up. And then a couple years ago, uh, they got bought by Politico. And they became now Politico New York. And Politico is doing this thing all around the country now. There's Politico in Florida. There's Politico in Massachusetts. I think, does California have one? Or I think that... California is underway and Politico New Jersey. New Jersey, right. New Jersey, they're going to 
They could blow out of the water the site that I used to write for in New Jersey. <laughs> um, and it's great because you know what? We're always like, I know people out there have, there's some mixed feelings on Politico itself, but I have to say, like, we hear so many terrible stories in the political journalism world about local newspapers that are going out of business or are cutting back on coverage, state houses that are like, uh, um, uh, miserably undercovered and political oh, is yeah and, and and there's no accountability when there's no reporting in a state house or a city hall or wherever and Politico is making major investments in local and in state house reporting um, and I think it's it's just unqualified I think it's a great thing uh, so anyway Ozzy Pabra senior political reporter for Politico New York formerly known as Capital New York formerly with the New York Observer. We were with a couple other New York papers. You were yes. with uh, New York Press and New York Sun. Right. Both the New York Sun. The New York Sun. That's right. So that was about 10 years ago, right? Oh, my. Was, yes, yes, yes. Making me feel very old. Thank that you. Was, well, Nailed it. Do you know, I, you, I'm sure you don't remember this. Um, I met you long before I worked at The Observer. Not long, but before I worked at The Observer, when I was in New Jersey. Um, I was at politicsnj.com, okay. website New Jersey. In WCBS on election night 2005. Wow. Do you remember where I'm going with this? I remember an embarrassing incident I had on air. I don't remember you having an embarrassing incident on oh, air that night. I remember it, um, and that may have been why I blocked out every other incident <laughs> that happened. But I didn't mean to make this a painful. No, 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 no it's thing. fine. It's fine. You, I mean, well, first of all, I think sure. the term "on air" has to be used loosely there, because <laughs> as I recall, it was a webcast. Okay, there were they had just begun experimenting with something with a uh, when when I was first brought in, they were they were hosting a debate. And they had a live blog that they named Instablog for running commentary about a debate they were hosting. And my editor at the time, Harry Siegel, who is now a columnist at the Daily News and a member of the editorial board, he and I would write blog items instantly about a debate they were hosting, and they hosted it on their site called Instablog. So from there, they, they brought me in to do some election night coverage. Okay. Because it was that was the night. It right. was Bloomberg's re-election in New York. The yep. governor's race in New Jersey. That's where Corzine got elected governor. Mm -hmm. Virginia would have been going on. Those were the three races right. that were playing out that night. So I remember doing the webcast, and they brought me in. And you were in a different room. I didn't actually meet you. <laughs> I don't remember. Right. I honestly don't remember anything embarrassing. I just remember you were oh. the New York City politics guy. But so so what what I remember, and this and this might have been the same night. They had brought me in. They sat me down in front of a computer, and there was a camera over my shoulder. And I don't do as much TV as you do. And I was sitting there in front of the computer, camera over my shoulder, and they say, what are the results? And I give them the results. And somebody says, hey, Ozzy, have you ever done live TV? And I said, well, you know, I've done a little bit of it here and you know, feeling very confident. And I didn't get the hint. And one of the anchors goes, turn around. I had, I had been answering and trying to talk without facing the camera. Because I was too I do, shy I, to I look do, at this thing. I do remember that. Now. <laughs> <laughs> See, and you know, it was charming. It yeah, was, you yeah. know, it was again. Instinct wretches on air, the, always comedy. But it, that was one of those nights where I, I, I looked at it and I was like, because I was, I, I came in. <laughs> they sent me to, now. I had been, my TV experience at that point was I had done News Twelve New Jersey, right? Which and the joke is that's named for the number of people that watch it. Yes. So you know, what, is, what did that say about New York One? You know. Well, okay, right, yeah, right, right. yeah. And it was and News Twelve New Jersey is like literally you walk into the place. It's in like a um, industrial park in, in central yeah. New Jersey. You walk in and there's a little the green room. See, the show that was before us was the pet show. <laughs> And so the green room had three chairs in it, and they had like dog hair and, and turkey feathers, and just it was it was disgusting, and it smelled like it smelled like a zoo in the green room. So we would never actually send the guests to the green room. We also didn't have makeup. They they, they would tell us the lighting was such that 
you didn't actually need makeup to go on the oh, enemy squad. Oh, I love any studio that does not require makeup. Yeah. Well, I took yeah. it, but see, then there were the, the women, like the, the woman who was our, our right. co-host, she would have to hire her own personal makeup person. Because, I mean, she. I, uh, I think everybody probably did need makeup, and she, you know, so she wanted makeup. She had to hire, so, so I felt that was unfair. Oh, but anyway, that was like, that was my TV experience prior to that night, and then... We're sitting there. And then that you night. saw me and my and my failure to look at the camera, and you thought TV's easy. I can do this. <laughs> well, no, I felt like when I kept oh, her, you, you, you know, the world. You are welcome for me giving Steve Kornacki the confidence to do this. What happened was I got there and I was like, you know, I'm doing New Jersey at WCBS, right? And you're in, you know, the big CBS building, and I'm like, this is the big time, and yep. I'm this is my big moment. And they sent me in, and there's makeup <laughs> for, for the WCBS <laughs> webcast, you know. And then they like they take my hair and they put all this glop, all this like gunk in it, and you know, I'm like, I've never right. looked this way before. And the guy's like, you look like you're ready to go on TV. And I'm like, well, I'm going on the webcast. It's not, you know. <laughs> and then I, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm getting all excited because I think I'm doing well and everything. And I'm like, this is, and I keep telling myself, there's probably not a single person logged into their computer right now to WCBS. I mean, because those are the days too when right. they made it really hard to look at oh, video it was, and the computers weren't designed this was, for it. it so if this was 2005. This was before Twitter, before Facebook, before Meerkat, before... Dare I say? Can I you imagine a world before Meerkat? I mean, I, I, mean, I mean, it is remarkable to think how much technology has changed within just you know the the twelve years Michael Bloomberg was in office. Just think about what. Just think about the phone you had in your pocket when Barack Obama announced he was running for president. Flip phone, right? And just just think about where we are now, and what news organizations were created and launched during his time. I mean, I mean, it's it's. I think the change in media. There's been more changes in media and technology in a quicker amount of time than at, at any point prior to that. I think what presidents and press secretaries and reporters were dealing with locally and nationally, they had more time to adjust, more time to get acclimated to something new. And now it seems that it seems like every couple of months there's a new innovation that catches fire that Local reporters, national reporters, candidates, people looking to raise money for efforts are having to learn faster and faster what, what to deal with. So, um, so, so I'm not surprised that something starts out with, hey, how many people are going to log in to watch this webcast? And before you blink, you could start doing that webcast by your phone. Yeah. It's amazing. No, I mean, that's, that was the, 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 when this Meerkat thing came out. I remember our first, the first time we did this, I was just like... I realized we could just broadcast to whoever follows me on Twitter and yeah. say whatever we want, and it just it breaks down it breaks down these barriers that, that used to be there. Although I think one, one thing they found, and this show is the exception to that rule, right. is like all, people live live streaming their daily mm -hmm. lives. Or Rand Paul just tried this last week. I don't know if you saw. Like, oh, Rand Paul did a day of live streaming, and it was miserably boring. I didn't watch the full twenty four hours. I, well, I, it's it's amazing. The, the means of production have been are more diffuse. And people are learning what a generation earlier TV producers have learned. That you have to make it interesting. You have to make it compelling. Just because you can tweet something doesn't mean you should tweet something. You know? Well, that's the truth. <laughs> right, right. You know, in, in, in fact, you know, just because somebody delivers you a delicious, you know, Quavos Rancheros doesn't mean you should photograph it for all your friends on, on Instagram to, to see. So, like, what's interesting to you may not be interesting to your Delivers audience. you a delicious what? Huevos Rancheros. What's Sorry. that? Sorry. It, it's, uh, eggs, uh, Spanish style. I had Spanish... I had what, would, Spanish what, would, what is Spanish style? I, 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 oh. I, eat, I eat cereal and, and, uh, <laughs> and crackers and soda. Um, 
It's some kind of like salsa verde sauce. There's like beans. Uh, I, I clearly do not know how to cook, but I know how to order. Yeah. So that's a good one. That, that, I'm trying to one. expand my palate. That's the thing. I've, I've, I've tried to go paleo. I've Let tried me... to go gluten-free. The gluten's delicious. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it like, tastes good. It's like MSG. <laughs> um, I, have not, I have never tried to go gluten-free. I have flirted with going paleo, but basically for like my body type, what I've learned is fewer carbs. If I can like avoid bread, if I can avoid pasta... And it what does it do for you? What did that? You, you, it, it reduces my waistline. I, I'm, oh, I'm so serious. Weight loss. I was, yeah, okay. I was almost at the point of being of getting onset di- diabetes, and my my doctor was like, Holy "You crap. need to like start changing what you do," and I very aggressively started looking at what I ate, got a trainer, and I I I learned through some very painful mistakes at times. I learned that. My body type is different than the people around me, and my friends, even some of my family. And what works for me may, may not work for you. What your diet needs are maybe different than mine. So, learning that it's not a one size fit all kind of routine. And, and, to, and, to, think, and to think about it, reporter, uh, your work hours are no longer just nine to five. You don't go home at five o'clock, turn off your phone, watch TV, and go to sleep. We're sort of on call earlier in the day, later at night on the weekend with these pockets maybe during the day of when we can have some downtime. Well, that requires reporters and even candidates to be healthier, to be more active, to be more conscientious of how we treat ourselves. And look, if, if I didn't start taking better care of my health, I wouldn't be able to wake up early and finish off a newsletter, be, it, be able to be awake at night to do things like this. Well, I'm, I'm feeling guilty taking you out to a bar right now. No, like, no, no, no. It's, it's to, like, fine. The, it's fine. The kale restaurant or something <laughs> down down the street. I may be going there afterwards. But that's so. that's the. Uh, I, it's funny. Remember Jack Germond, mm-hmm. the uh, I, you know he's the old McLaughlin group, and then I think Baltimore Sun yeah. columnist. He was a big, big guy. I think right. he made it to 85, which is like wow, good for impressive. Him. Um, but I remember like reading one of his memoirs, and he was bemoaning that like by the 1990s. He was, the, he was one of those guys, he lived for the campaign trail. Right. He lived for staying up in the hotel bar, drinking six scotches, trading stories, everybody right. gets together, it's all a joke. You know, and he hated what he called the new, like the new generation of political reporter that would get to the hotel and would immediately hit the gym. Right. And then would eat a salad. Every, and then everyone hates and, that guy. You know. Right. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know? He makes, it makes you feel like there's this romantic era that we that I certainly missed out on and that you know maybe maybe it never existed well but, you know the walking embodiment of that in my mind is Dick Ravitch you know the guy who Ira Glass described as like you know a, a guy who enjoys like a martini and and, and, and like a T-bone steak kind of dinner and, and this was he was the lieutenant governor in New York he was the guy who saved know? New York with a he saved New York in the 70s helping to construct a refinancing program. Do you know where he was when he when he was sworn in as lieutenant governor? At a restaurant. Peter Luger's. He what? He I, was I, at, he, I do know. A steakhouse. He was at a steakhouse. Because got... that's where he ate his dinners. <laughs> and the call came in. A judge went his way. Uh, governor David Patterson was like, we're going to do this right now. <laughs> he literally turned to the floor manager and was like, you will, you will not be the witness to New York history. And I actually had a dinner there one night with Mike Allen, Jimmy Bielkind, my colleague at Albany, and some uh, a, a couple that had won a contest uh, for New York Playbook. And we had dinner at Peter Luger's and ran into that guy. Ran into the witness from the, the witness. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we got to see the table where where history happened, 
but this was Dick Ravitz being an old school guy, having a steak dinner. That's, and, a, that's and, fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. I love those stories. Well, let's, um, I think I'm going to ask you some icebreakers, but I'm locked out of this phone, so Adam is going to, uh, is going to unlock it. And Adam, All right. what's going on in the, uh, in the uh, meerkat room there? I think I'm going to hand the microphone to Adam because he's going to tell us what the folks are saying. Sure. Well, there's been uh, some light chatter. We had some audio issues at the top of the podcast, so uh, everybody was still recovering from that. But they, they seem to be involved when we guys were talking about technology. Um, a pastry plate wanted to know if the podcast would be on Snapchat, if either of you are on Snapchat. Um, NJ Highlands wanted to point out that MSNBC's Casey Hunt was a pioneer on Meerkat. She was one of the uh, first to adopt the platform. And then Jocelyn says, uh, Rand Paul is no Steve Kornacki. I don't know if she was implying that you should live stream your entire day or run for president on libertarian principles. Uh, Are you running? Uh, since I lie about my age and claim to be much younger than I am, I unfortunately am not 35 yet and therefore <laughs> ineligible uh, to be president of the United States. But otherwise, I'm sure I'd have... I'd have no problem. Um, Are you not 35 yet? No, I am 30. I'm 36. Oh, man. I'm 36. I, I'm, I'm oh, old. But I claim, 30, I? I claim 31. Okay. There's a lot of like, I don't put these out there, but the, the Wikipedia page that exists for me oh. is filled with completely phony information. I just today had a journalism teacher that invited me to speak to their class, cite information about me from Wikipedia. Was it true? Let us just say it was outdated, but <laughs> but the best part about it. So we pulled it up. So we pulled up the page, and I read out loud. I was described as someone who believes in a kind of proactive journalism. Uh, brackets citation needed. Next. <laughs> wait, wait. Next next sentence. It goes on to describe how I will call up other people to let them know what somebody said in order to get a reaction. That Wikipedia like, says this about you? It says it's about me. Pull it up. What the hell does that mean? It, to me, it means I do journalism. Right. But according to somebody else, it's like some kind of nefarious game of telephone. But can you, can't you you figure out from Wikipedia who the uh, did the updates to those things? Do you think I want to spend my time doing that? Yes, journalism. No. <laughs> it's, it's my fear about that. If I start going into the weeds about who is editing my page, and if I actually make edits to correct... My Wikipedia oh, page. Well then, yeah. I I then take ownership of it, and then the question becomes, well, why didn't you keep it up? But that's so, why, right. right. That's why so, you need a, a, a third party to go and do it for you. <laughs> you know, that's just, interns wanted. <laughs> that could be that could be like a, a market opening to exploit is like somebody who will craft Wikipedia pages for journalists who don't want to like get when, accused of when doctoring I, their own biography. When I leave journalism for a higher paying gig to be named later, there it is. This is it. I'm gonna hang a shingle there, outside my your door firm. and say. This, you know, it's funny. Ozzy Wiki. There it, we go. Ozzy Wiki. I like it. It, it, what you're describing has happened to me because Steve Kornacki, you would think, is a, um, is a very uncommon name. It's, I, you know, there is yet a. Uh, Are you the only Steve in the Kornacki family? Well, my dad's Steve Kornacki, but uh, who I'm, there's apparently, there was a Steve Kornacki who wrote for The Sopranos, who wrote for Boardwalk Empire, who was mentioned at the when Boardwalk Empire won the the Emmy a few years ago. He got thanked in the speech. Um, did did you take a bow? Well, so this is it. I was at a, I was at Rutgers once, and they're introducing me for some sort of uh, some panel, and they just put in my biography. <laughs> did I? Because they assumed I wrote about New Jersey politics, the Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire. This is New Jersey politics. They're like, 
he wrote for The Sopranos and is currently a writer for Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> How do you correct that? And I'm like, well, I, I, I almost didn't because I'm like, you could see how impressed the crowd was. Oh, and I'm that's like, why they showed know, up. And now I'm like, should I share some Hollywood stories with them? Should I, t you know, so I was like, no, that's me actually. Me and Kirsten Dunst were hanging out. That's actually you know, not me, yeah, unfortunately. But, but yeah, there's that. And then there's this. Did people stand up and walk out after that when you said, I'm not that? I, I'm actually not that guy, yeah. Oh, the other one, the disappointing one now is too, like, I have to tell him, you know what? Make sure you guys uh, know I'm not actually Chris Hayes. Because they think <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that's the one. If I'm, I am, if I am stopped on the street, it is not frequent. But if I am, it, I was in Iceland this oh, summer. Oh, I, I heard about this. Yeah, I, I was at a cafe in Iceland, and this British guy turns around and is like, you're a television presenter, aren't you? And I was like, oh, yes, I am. He goes, MSNBC. I was like, yeah. Hayes, right? Like, oh. Mm, sorry. You know, my, my Chris Hayes experience, because he, he's very popular in the house where, where I grew up, uh, I, got, I got invited on his show once, and I was so excited. I knew my, my mom and stepdad would be very happy with it, and I took a, a picture, like a selfie. Except he wasn't quite like he didn't know I was doing this. I was trying to do it without his like knowledge because I thought it would be important. You had you you made him photobomb your selfie, basically. Right. Okay. So, and and then I tweeted it. So so I never knew what he thought about it, and I was like, I'm never gonna get invited on his show again because I'm I'm being an idiot. And the one time he called me to come back on the show, and I was like, Oh my god, this is it! The call from his producer came in as I'm sitting on a doctor's table. I had just busted my knee on his uh, trying to ski. And I was in Lake Tahoe, ruined my knee. It had like a doctor's looking at it, and I'm checking my, my phone because what else do you do? And it and, and the email said, Hey, do you want to come on the show? I was like, Oh great, my one chance to like make up for that. And I'm And they of, wouldn't let you do it remote from, from Tahoe? No, I was like I was like out of commission, I couldn't do it. And I was like, Oh, they'll have you there back. Goes, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll have you back. We had I, you on up a few times. Yes, yes. We did the, the and and I, I, Andrew Cuomo uh, in trouble segment. I, I think somebody said I dressed like I was on my way to have breakfast with the reservoir dogs. I was I was trying I was trying to look fancy for you. I mean I don't, you saw what I wore on that show. There was no need <laughs> there was absolutely no need to worry about that. I said I was gonna get to some icebreakers yes. and once again I uh, I'm timed out of Adam's phone. Adam's phone has my notes. Uh oh! Because I forgot to print them out. I don't own a print. The icebreakers. I... All right, so so the icebreakers are. Yeah, you know, we want to we want to talk a little bit of politics, a little journal. We want to sure. get to know you a little bit. Oh, so man. these run the gamut. Go for so it. I'm going to ask you to pick a number between one and sixteen. Oh my God! Nine. Okay. No, well, this. Uh... No, that's not a good so one. Some, as I say, some of these are always very stupid. But uh, question nine: Do you still go to the dentist? I have avoided my dentist because I have a, a serious procedure that I'm putting on hold. Um, Wisdom teeth? Uh, braces. Braces? I, Did you have them, you them as a kid? I had them as a kid. They want to put them back on you? I, I, so I have, again, like, like, I have not taken care of my health. And like the thing I am, if there's one thing I, I, I could do, if I wish I could do over my life, it's like de dental care. I mean, I mean, there's like many things, but seriously, I'm, I'm like putting it off. I'm avoiding it. I'm very self-conscious about it. I thought like, oh my God, how do I do that? How, how self-conscious will I be talking to other people with braces at like, at 37, you know? And uh, so do I, do I go to the dentist? Yes, but it, it's sort of like maintenance because I am too... I'm avoiding the inevitable at this point and I'm acting very immature about it. 
when I when I wrote the question, do you still go to the dentist? I did not expect an answer that deep and and and, I, and impactful and wow. I, 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 I am trying something very different. Um, reporters are supposed to be we're supposed to ask direct questions and sometimes be uncomfortably blunt in asking and receiving information. And I got to tell you, I have not practiced that in my own personal life. And I could spend a couple of hours just talking about it. And I figure maybe I would be living a better life if I took the better traits of journalism outside of work. So when somebody asks me a question like this, I could, I could joke it off or I could be honest and say, look, this, this is really what's happening in my I think life. That's, I, feel, I think what you're describing is a common thing, though, not just journal. I think just people in general like... I look at my life the same way. I sort of think like if I if I organize my regular life like I organize my work life. Right. There are there are traits like I, I here's the thing like I'm I'm uh, I think of myself as like I, and I I noticed this last week they they I was on the uh, the nightly show with Larry Wilmore the, right. the, the the successor to Colbert and I have to keep touching the screen on Adam's phone <laughs> every five seconds because oh, keeps... oh thank you Adam because like my notes keep getting timed out so. <laughs> So I've been doing television full-time for about three and a half years now, and I, I walk into the studio, and I look into the camera, and I, I don't feel any, I'm not nervous at all. It's completely right. natural to me. I feel I feel more at ease there than I do, like, if you throw me into a, a random right. room and tell me to socialize, I, I get all nervous, oh, yeah. and I don't know what to say. And I realized this last week when I went into this show, the nightly show, I've never done a television show in front of a studio audience. Ooh. And I didn't I forgot they had a studio audience until so they're they're bringing us out and then suddenly there's this, you know, theater of it's probably 100 people. It's not right. that crowded. Um, but I, I like froze. And I'm I'm terrified. And I I feel like I'm starting to sweat. My heartbeat's going up. Wow. And I'm like I'm thinking twice, three times before I say anything. And I was on with um, I, I'm not I don't keep up with right, right. you tell me before the show you don't keep up with sports. I don't keep up with pop culture. So there's there's an actress named uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Adam. Gabrielle Union. Okay, the audience probably Gabrielle Union. Okay. So, do you know who she is? I'm gonna. No, I don't. Okay, good. No, you're like me. <laughs> I, 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 I'm like you. Well, she's married to. I, I picked up on the context clues in the in the interview. She's married to Dwayne Wade, the NBA star. Who? Yes, that guy I know. Yeah. So that, that, I mean, that was I think he too, and she was right. Because one of the questions I asked her was, "Who's a better NBA player, LeBron or Dwayne Wade?" Oh. Ha ha ha! Based on the reaction, I knew she wasn't LeBron's wife. <laughs> so that was, that was okay. Now I now I got it. Um, and then I checked; she had uh, she had four million Instagram followers. So I was like, "Wow, she really." I, I'm it, like, you isn't know. it amazing that people can be famous in these unique spheres of the world, and other people don't know who they are? I mean, just just think about just 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 think about that. Four million people are in on something that maybe half the people in this half the people where we're sitting right now. See, here's the, my, my theory based on. I, so I've told this story to a few people since then. Not a single one of them has not been horrified that I didn't know who Gabriel Union was. So, I think, sorry. My guess is if we surveyed this room, we're the outliers. But that is very possible. But that's the thing. We, we you are you absorbed in your world, and I'm, yes. I'm the same. I, I I mean, I I end up and I I used to be better at. I kind of like. It got to a point last year. I was in the, I was in the Dwayne Reed around the corner, and I was in the checkout line. And I saw People magazine, oh. and I made myself buy it because I was like, I, I need to, to understand what it was like an anthropological thing. Right. I need to understand these references that people are making to like, yeah, uh, Taylor Swift. Swift. I was <laughs> I was at a hardware store in Union Square, and I was with WNYC reporter Beth Fertig. Uh, we were we were running around, and in front of us was a guy that looked familiar. In my brain. My, my brain registered familiar face, and I couldn't, I couldn't tell if it was politics 
someone who's yelled at me or someone who's famous. As he's walking out, I, I say to Beth, hey, Beth, familiar face. Huh? I, I, it's, as, it's as far as my brain would go. Right. Beth, being a much more cultured, smart person, goes, oh, that's an actor on The Good Wife. So, so like, I, get, I carried the ball halfway down the field. She carried it all the way to the you end zone. You knew it was somebody. I knew it was somebody, but I couldn't tell if this was, like, a guy that I should turn around and apologize to for, right? You, you know, like... Well, that's funny you say, says, somebody who's yelled at you. Does that, that part of the job, writing something and getting yelled at, how, how common is that for you? I, so, I, I sort of joke. Like, I am... I try to be hard on my sources because it, it's my name that's going on the information they're giving me. But I run into people I've written about on the train, w- walking a block away from my apartment. I ran into Clarence Norman, former Democratic county leader who went to jail, who's going away party I crashed and wrote about. Years later, I see him on my block. Like, like if I've, I've never done national politics. I don't know what D.C. is like, although I've read this town. Um, but if you are a New York-based reporter writing about New York, if you're a local reporter writing about local politics, there is an accountability you have because you're running into people that you see, and it can be uncomfortable, it can be unfriendly, but there's never this ability to write anonymously, to be distant from the people you, you write about. So sometimes you'll get tips because you run into someone on the train. Sometimes a congressman that spends his days in D.C. sees you in their district and they are appreciative that you're making this effort to see where they are and will talk to you a little bit more candidly. Um, it, 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 it can be, if you're not prepared to, have a, to stiffen your backbone, it doesn't matter where, where you are, you, you'll get run over. But I, I enjoy being surrounded by the people I'm writing about. And look, I, I, I like to go home and shut the door and you know, not have the world sort of talking to me. But I like being able to have this direct contact with people. No one is too good to be untouchable, unreachable. If you're in New York City, if you're in politics, if I'm writing about you, at some point we're going to intersect. So you might as well pick up the phone when I call. So what's your, uh, you covered Bill de Blasio before he was Bill de Blasio. I mean, he was, you know, he was a a city councilman, then he... Uh, was the public advocate, which yep. is this only in New York City position? Only, that I try right. to I try to explain to people outside of here because like, no other representative <laughs> in New York is an advocate for the public the way a public advocate can be. Right. The idea, I mean, it's such a New York City thing to create <laughs> yeah. an office around that title and to <laughs> yes. give it money and all that. It's I mean, fantastic. There are so many places that would rebel at the waist, and yet here it's a it's a it's a job. Um, <laughs> not to say it's it's not important. They release important reports. It's a stepping stone job. Uh, um, one of his reports was about freedom of information requests, which is a fun thing to go back to when. Now, Mayor de Blasio's administration is a little bit slow on the uptake. Has, that's, yes, you yeah. can always hold yeah. that over him. But yeah. so, so you, I, I imagine you have an interesting perspective on de Blasio. Um, we could debate how much of a national figure he is right now. I mean, he's trying to be one clearly. Right. Um, what, what is your like? What's your relationship with him like? I mean, you saw him. I, I, I always feel this way. Like I tell people about me and Chris Christie, because I, I was covering Christie and I knew him. Before he, I mean, when he was a right. failed former local politician right. who had big dreams in New Jersey and nobody thought he was going to go right. anywhere. And now, fast forward 12 years later, well, right. now Here. it's probably over, yeah. but uh, you know, six months ago or whatever. But anyway, like, I, I have an interesting perspective on Christie, I feel, because I knew him before he broke through. Right. And I feel like you have the, it's the same with you and de Blasio. You know, it, it's funny. There's, there are reporters in Park Slope who, who live in Park Slope that sort of know the guy. There's older reporters who, you know, their kids playing the same little league with you know with his kids and I've seen him grow up. I 
uh, I remember I remember writing a story about him and another rising star in the city council when they were running for public advocate. And I called the Blasio on his cell phone, and he was driving his car. And he goes, hold on, I see a parking space. And, and as he's on the phone, he, like, swerves his car into a parking space, and he says something to the effect of, when you see an opening, you got to take it. And, of course, for a guy that, you know, worked in the Clinton administration, that ran Hillary's campaign, running for this bizarro job, I was like, this is a great anecdote. I'm putting it right in my story. Um, and, and obviously, when people are running for higher office, they're much more amenable to talking to reporters. Since becoming mayor, de Blasio has undergone a, the, the transformation I think many people do when they reach a high office. They're struggling with what it means to be the person in charge. What does it mean to be the mayor? He's, he, he appears to have a problem standing at a podium because he just gives these long-winded, sometimes ridiculous answers that include the word historic, transformative, transformational, transcendent. And at some point, you have like an hour-long press conference where he doesn't say much. So what, what his press office is doing is he's doing more radio interviews, fewer availabilities. Room 9 is sort of grumbling about it. But they're trying to get him into settings where he doesn't get stuck behind the podium as much. Um, I've had my, my issues with his administration in terms of just the logistics of press conferences. I, I seem to have this, this memory of him literally like pointing to someone behind me in order to like ask a question. And I've, you know, complained about their response to FOIL requests that I've written about. I, I, I don't have as close uh, contact with him as some of the other reporters. He's done interviews with the Associated Press and with, you know, the Wall Street Journal and places like that. I don't rely on access to him in order to write about him. There's nothing that they can take away from me that will prevent me from writing about him. When, when his police commissioner, Bill Bratton, who himself is, is, is very much a national figure just because of the historic way that he's uh, run the New York Police Department twice, the LAPD uh, for seven years. Boston, when I was a kid, yep. Yep, yeah. Uh, he is very much a national figure in the world of policing in the way that Bill de Blasio is not a national figure in terms of progressive politics. Just because that space is so much more occupied by so many other people, uh, at times Andrew Cuomo has sort of tried to play the progressive you know, Bernie Sanders, obviously, Elizabeth Warren. That, that must be fun, by the way. The, the, it's the mayor of New York City and the governor of New York State. And, and the mayor is at the mercy of the governor historically. Oh. But in this case... That's a very polite way to put it, the mercy. But at this case, there is such... For people that maybe don't follow us every sure. day, there is such animosity between Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio. Oh. That's got to be so fun to cover. So, so the history is Andrew was HUD secretary. Remember, he was not the first HUD secretary... And, and when, the, when Clinton's first HUD secretary left, there was, in essence, a campaign to become the number two. And I'm told uh, that the leading candidate sort of got knocked out because of an allegation, and Cuomo rises, and that allegation later fades away, and, 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 the, and the big, you know, sort of talk around the time was, geez, d did Andrew help put forward this scuttlebutt about this guy that, that cost him his mm -hmm. job? You know, dark, you know. The dark arts. Yeah. The, 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 the dark arts. So... Cuomo is, you can, you can argue, the number two or number three in that position. Below him is, a, is Bill de Blasio. Not very high up on, on the food chain whatsoever. Fast forward several years, Cuomo is the governor. The city is a creature of the state. If you are the New York City mayor, you in essence come hat in hand to the governor. The guy coming to him is Bill de Blasio, the guy that used to work for him. Just, just like try to get into the psychology of that. You used to work for me. I am the guy in charge of your city. 
be respectful. You're a supplicant. If you want to get into the psychobabble of politics, do you think Bill de Blasio wants to reenact that same relationship? Or do you think he might want to flex his muscle, stand up a little bit straighter, punch a bully in the nose and say, no, 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 I, I, I don't work for you anymore. It's not the same relationship. It's sometimes hard for reporters to, to, it's sometimes hard for me to remember that an aide to a councilman that has now succeeded the councilman and now is an elected official in his own right has graduated, has moved up. As, as a little personal anecdote, my mother taught high school for 40 years and she would see for, for four decades, kids of a certain age. Now the kids changed, but the ages didn't. For 40 years, she dealt with kids of, of the same age year after yeah. year. It's sometimes hard to see a person graduate and move up. Yeah. You're no longer just writing about New Jersey. I'm no longer writing about Queens. It's sometimes hard for people to see someone move up. Does Andrew Cuomo recognize that, that Bill de Blasio is no longer his aide? Does Bill de Blasio sort of recognize this guy is his own independent person? Does Bill de Blasio feel he needs to demonstrate something to an audience of one in Albany that, that he's no longer answering to, to the boss? Like, you, you, you can imagine that all these things are playing in the background of legitimate policy debates that are happening that affect millions of people. No, I, I think that that's one of the things that makes politics, to me, has always made it so fun to cover, is it, it is ultimately... It's so human. Yes. You know, I mean, we always have... All we, too we, human, we as, as somebody the, says. Yeah, we want to have the, the the policy discussion or whatever, but there's all of these rivalries, there's all these backstories, there's all these weird dynamics, you know? I mean, I, I learned yeah. it... I always people tell people, too, that's why I, I feel like before you cover national politics, you really should cover local politics. That would be great. It, it, it's, I mean, I started in New Jersey, and I, I, I did everything from the governor's race down to, like, local council races in, right. in different cities in New Jersey. And and the stakes, in a way, the stakes are really low. Like I, I would explain right. to somebody, like, what's you know, this is it's 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 the budget for one town school or whatever. Right. But the stakes are so high because for all the players, it's yes. bread on the table. It's, yes. Am I going to have a job? Are these five people who I've gotten jobs for going to get fired from their right. jobs? You know, I mean, there's the stakes are so real, and it makes they're very the fighting. They're very tangible. Yeah. They're very granular. They're very like they're literally at the table. Uh, in, pe in people's kitchens. The, 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 a lot of times I feel like local gets dismissed as parochial, as, as insignificant. Whereas at times, somebody once told me uh, Congress members are, are always a little bit nervous about a councilman who doesn't have to leave the district that's always around at these community board meetings sort of challenging them because they're because the councilman's always in the district and the, and the congressman isn't. So That was... I, 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 there was a guy I knew in New Jersey who was the... Uh, <laughs> he had been the state director. That's the title for Frank Lautenberg when he was in the U.S. Senate. His entire job, he said, he was like one of those like forest rangers who stands on top of that tower yep. just looking around for the slightest sign of a fire anywhere. Yep. And the minute he sees it, you know, you call in the hoses and you just and you just take it out. And it was always like, you know, this Lautenberg's down in Washington. Right. He doesn't want to do the, you know, rubber chicken circuit like every night. So right. he's got this guy to do it for him, well, you know. Well, Chuck Schumer, right? He's in Washington. He's a He's a actively engaged in shaping the, the future of the Democratic Party, the guy rides his bike all over Brooklyn. You can't avoid the guy. Yeah. And I'm telling you, he is on the ground throughout New York in a way that very few lawmakers are. If there's something happening in Waterville, he wants to know about it. If there's something happening in Freeport, Long Island, he wants his people there first. This is a guy that intimately knows 
if you are not physically there on the ground, giving people uh, constituent services, filling potholes, do doing the, the Aldomato kind of routine, you have a much harder time going to Washington and trying to make change. You know, the Tip O'Neill, you know, all, all that all kind of stuff. is local. Well, that, and by the way, longtime uh, uh, viewers of the Meerkat Show and listeners of the podcast, Chuck Schumer, U.S. Senator, birth year, 1950. Somebody check me on that. I, wow. I, I could do the same year as these microphones, probably. These are Larry King. I wish, <laughs> I, yeah, I wish the people on the podcast could see this. We have these awesome, like Larry King style of microphones. Adam, I'm going to check in with you again and see what is cooking over there. Sure, it's on. Oh, no, it's on. 1950 is indeed correct for Chuck Schumer. Wow, um, Racky Bar trivia. Everybody's been very. Um, they like the conversation. They've been very attentive. They've been very uh, talking about politics. Um, tomorrow is wondering if Ed Henry's tweet about his sources about saying Biden is in are worthwhile at all. Ed Henry was tweeting earlier today that he's going to announce soon he was cautioning against the 48-hour timeline, but he was saying perhaps Saturday in Iowa. Um, Jocelyn also pointed out that you were talking about your Wikipedia entry being false while wearing a Vermont sweatshirt. <laughs> I thought that was a good observation. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder how that rumor got started. Uh, someday we will get that corrected. I did not attend the University of Vermont, and I was not a member of I the I like how you suggested, though. Well, I, I love the state, and I love the school, and I wish it says that I was a member of the uh, 2004 NCAA tournament basketball team at the University of Vermont. I was a reserve guard. That's what it said. <laughs> and I would love to be able to tell people that I was a reserve guard on the, the NCAA tournament team. I wasn't. I didn't go to Vermont. I and wasn't. The, and and guard, the sweatshirt came from where, though? I went up there. This, okay. The, so I covered the Bernie Sanders presidential right. announcement in Burlington, in, Vermont. In order to get the sweatshirt. I got it. And, and, oh, I got all this stuff. I, I got I got the I got the T-shirt. I got the uh, Vermont tie. I got Vermont. Make so Vermont went, great again. I had, oh, you know, is, is that it coming was before soon? that had okay. happened, but, but I bet there's one now. That was that was a fun event to cover, too. That was like, that was the first, in hindsight, we were up, it's Burlington, Vermont, which is, you know, it's remote. Yep. Lake Champlain, there's probably 40,000 people who live in the city. They turned out 6,000 people at 5 wow. o'clock on a, a work of 90 degrees outside. There's 6,000 people in this public park to watch him. And now, I mean, that's the story of Sanders is, you know, the, 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 the crowds. 30,000 people, these rallies and everything. Right. I mean, he gets the crowds that Trump says he gets. Um, <laughs> but uh, somebody was asking about Biden. We should address the, yes. the, the Biden thing maybe. So it's like, uh, no, I, I... You know, I've, I've wanted to ask you about Biden. Because again, like I'm, I'm in New York. I'm covering De Blasio, Brian, like the New York stuff. But there's something about what Biden is doing. And again, if it's been written about him, I'm going to apologize in advance. The way Biden, like the trial balloon goes out, and what does he do? He goes to all these events. People, it's like he's flirting with the idea. And it reminds me of what Obama was doing in advance of him getting into the race. When he uh, he went on to preview some kind of like uh, football game, Monday Night Football, right? Yeah, and, he goes, yeah. and it was like it was like a big announcement, and he goes da 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 da, and he puts on the, the Chicago Bears, Bears hat, hat. Yeah, yeah. and it, it it sort of reminded me of this goodwill sort of flirtatious tour that Obama did, hovering around Hillary when he was a non-candidate, and you can't really attack a non-candidate on legitimate policy issues. And it feels like the longer Biden goes around, not as an active candidate, but as this possibly goodwill, you know, so long tour, that people think, hey, this is a good guy. Like, maybe we should give, a, give him a second look. And then he's inoculated 
from legitimate questions you could ask him as a candidate, is he taking Obama 08 playbook and, and running with that against, this, against so the person it, who he worked against? That's interesting because I have... I see a different parallel um, for Biden. I am instantly wrong. I knew it. Well, I, my, it's, you might appreciate this one, though. It's Mario Cuomo. Ah, and I heard of that guy. So Mario Cuomo, you know, I mean, the basic story, 24 years ago, 1991, uh, he waited. He fl- it, was, it was right around this time. It was early October 91. Everybody had been saying since for years at that point, yep. he's got to run for president. He was every liberal Democrat's yep. dream candidate to run for president. He said no, and he gave this great speech Shining at City the on 1984 Hill? convention. Right, he gave this great Rebutting speech. Rebutting Ronald Reagan. Right, exactly. When and, few people could. And it was that people left that campaign. They said, that convention, they said, if we, we nominated the wrong guy. I mean, it, it shouldn't be Mondale, it should be Cuomo. Then he doesn't run in 88, and it bills and it bills. Then in 91... Uh, Democrats, every big name Democrat passes on the race. George H.W. Bush has just done the Gulf War. Right. His approval rating gets 90%. Everybody's like, forget it. I mean, Republicans, it's so hard, easy to forget now. Oh, yeah. Republicans had won five of six presidential elections. They weren't even close back then. Nobody thought Democrats could win presidential elections anymore. And so you, then. You, you win a military conflict. It, right. Who, who thinks you could lose an and, election? And, right. And this was and also like people didn't think we the, the last major military conflict before that was Vietnam. Right. So it was like the fact that everybody yes. thought the Gulf War was going to be this what, what Iraq turned into. But right. He got us out they, fast. They, and, they didn't go into Baghdad. Right. They sort of, you know, preserved the place in a fall apart. Minimal casualties to right. three weeks. It was it was generally a success. Place. Yep. And, and, and it was multinational. This was a coalition. But it also it also made everybody think it was easy again. So when ten years uh, later, when they're selling the next uh, one, it was well. Remember how easy the Gulf War right, was. Let's right. just do it again. So that was the downside of it. But, um, but so that was this. Or Cuomo said in the fall of '91, all the big name Democrats have said no, and suddenly the economy is really getting bad, and Bush's numbers are actually dropping. And the Democrats are like, we maybe could have a shot at this, but we need a real candidate. And then they, and then Cuomo, lets it loose, lets it slip at a meeting of his donors. All right, I'll look at it. And it was the first time he'd ever said it. And that was early October 91, and it sets off 10 weeks of, is he in or is he not? And then one day he goes out and he says, he says, my heart tells me, run, Mario, run. And, he, and everybody says, he's getting in, he's getting in. And he sends somebody up to New Hampshire to get the papers. He, and then the, the plane next day is like, on the tarmac. Every day he's on and off. For, for 10 weeks it goes on and on, and there's blown deadlines. It's going to happen by Thanksgiving, no answer at Thanksgiving. First week of December, no answer. It takes it all the way to December 20th, the filing deadline for the New Hampshire primary. Plane is they, they they charter a plane. It's on the tarmac. CNN's the only cable news network. They got the live shot of it all day. Is he going to get on? And the polls showed him oh leading. He was, if he gets in that race, he's he's 20 points ahead of Bill Clinton and you know Paul Songus, all those other guys. And it just the clock runs out, and he doesn't do it, and he never runs, and it becomes the great what if, you know, in in political history. What if he gets on that plane? Somebody has to write that book. Well, I wrote the. <laughs> no, 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 America had Cuomo run. Not, not even win, just run. Yeah. Well, I think. So I, here's the thing. Like, first of all, if he if he ran, this is the this is the thing people say. Like, would, would where would Andrew be right now? Would he be better off or worse off? I, actually, I would wonder. I mean, I, I I mean, so the presumption is Mario runs, wins New Hampshire, right? Here's what I think happens. Okay. This is the part people forget, because the counter to this, when I tell people I think Mario Cuomo would have won if he'd run in '92, the counter that I get from people is. Well, we didn't realize at the time he was flirting with running how great of a politician Bill Clinton was. And, and Bill Clinton actually would have beaten Mario Cuomo because Mario Cuomo was too indecisive. He had bad traits. And Clinton. So, okay, point taken. However, what people forget is that three weeks after Cuomo said no, the Jennifer Flower stuff comes out. Now, 
that was damaging enough to Clinton. And I think if Cuomo, who was seen as like a, a, an all-star player, had been an, a, another option, right. Clinton may die there. But here's the real reason I think the Jennifer Flowers thing would have killed Clinton if Cuomo was in the race. Part of the Jennifer Flowers thing, part of the recorded conversations between Clinton and Jennifer Flowers featured Jennifer Flowers bringing up Mario Cuomo's name and Bill Clinton calling him mafioso. Can you imagine oh. if Mario Cuomo had been in the race with Bill Clinton, how he, he would have killed him? With that line. That's why, that's why I think he beats him. Also, let's not forget, his family. This is a guy who, great orator, great speech maker. Uh, he always put forward the, the storyline about his family. Right. Home for dinner, wife. I mean, just the, the contrast. You can imagine not just uh, Mario standing at a lectern sort of complaining about this, but how it hurt him. And his family. Right. Oh, and he could turn and, it on. He could turn it on. Oh, like, and, that's, and, and, the, and the grocery store that his mm -hmm. grandparents... I mean... I Watched mean, my father work 16 hours a day till he had blood and... Yeah. I couldn't get into a law firm because I had a vowel at the end of my name. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I mean, he really could have... I think you're right. He, he could have drilled that home. I think that's the... I, Clint, I think Clinton kind of got away with it because Cuomo wasn't in the race. And then ultimately, the Democrats looked around and they said, well... We don't think really think Clinton can win, but we don't think Jerry Brown can win. We don't think Paul Song is can win. So they kind of came back to Clinton because they had no other choice. If Cuomo had been there, they have no other choice. And that, I think I think after Jennifer now, Flowers, after the draft, that becomes an easy choice for Democrats, and he, and he wins. Now, the only thing I would add to that is the unknowns about Mario. Always rumored, right? Never, never substantiated. Just. just you, you can always get a surprise with anyone. Right. And let's not forget, if Andrew is in that campaign, Andrew, a very aggressive campaigner, would he have done something that would make people rethink that candidacy? Remember, right. the campaign between Mario and Ed Koch was not a pretty one. Would elements of that campaign, which was very bare-knuckled, hard-fought, I think, you know, would would something like that have sort of occurred on a right. national scale? So 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 it's not just a, a one-way unilateral, this variable ha happens that way. Do, do other people sort of mishandle their opportunity? There's all, yeah. I mean, it's, that's why I love I love these, like, counterfactuals because yeah, right. I mean, you, there's obviously no, no telling. But I, I wonder about it a lot because I just think I, I have another one, and I've told it on this show before, about Ted Kennedy, how he could have won in 1980 oh, if man. things had been different in 76. But 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 I do think that the, – but the thing with Cuomo, too, the, the way I connect it to yeah. Biden is everything I can tell about Mario Cuomo, and, and nobody has ever given me the great answer, like why didn't he run, you know. But ultimately what the best answer I think is the indecision that he showed for all those weeks told you that part of him wanted to be president – and part of him had real doubts about going forward with it. And that's what the indecision came from. And ultimately, I think when you're that conflicted about doing something as big as running for president, you don't run. And so I look at Biden now, and I'm saying, I bet it's this, I think that's what I'm seeing, the same indecision, the it's, same doubt. It's, it's amazing, because in, uh, in Kramer's, you know, What It Takes, or, or as they sometimes called, What It Weighs, it's, it's such a huge book. The idea is that there are people who grow up believing I can be president. That's Bill to be the person that says, "Geez, I don't know." I mean, I mean, it's it's sort of bizarre. It's it, it's very human, and it's an anomaly. 
but wow, there was a line. I think it, I think I think it was a Chuck Schumer line, and maybe I'm misattributing it, and I'm sorry if I am. Where he 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 said to Cuomo that if he had gone to Harvard, you would have been president. And I think what he meant by it was you would have seen yourself as yes. that, oh. you know, as oh, opposed man. to being a St. John's guy, you know. As someone who went to SUNY Albany, you know, and worked at the New York Observer where there were many people with Ivy League degrees, I can relate to that sentiment. You know, there's an elitism in academia, you know, no, no fault of the students, really. It's, it's, it's the perception that people have of the name, the mystique, the aura. Um, I remember I had, I had withdrawn from SUNY Albany twice, uh, and before graduating from there, I was working at the Macaroni Grill on Wolf Road on the way to the airport. And while I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life, uh, I hear on the radio Alan Chartok, Rex Smith. They're talking about George Pataki. And I, I remember them describing him as just another guy from Yale that wants to be president. And there was something about that that just, like, struck me. I'm not a dumb guy. But my school's not fancy like his. Why does he get to casually be in this world leader race if it's any consolation Pataki's barely in the race right now <laughs> <laughs> right 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 but at least he's mentioned which is further than me but the idea that 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 there's like this ivy league pathway to a better life that is somehow casually received rather than hard earned yeah you know i mean maybe i have a chip on my shoulder from going to a school that doesn't open as many doors as some, as some other people but by the way, uh, University of SUNY Albany, you know who their great rival in the America East Basketball Conference is? Vermont? It's the University of Vermont. That's why this podcast is going to get real nasty. That, you know, the, no. you, you guys are the, the Great Danes. Oh, yes. Then the Catamounts, Cats and Dogs. This uh, is, a, this of is a, a, a vicious rivalry. Uh, I would like to just say another SUNY Albany alumni, Brian Lair of WNYC. I did know that. That's right. Yep. So, also from Queens, like me. Another so. another University of Vermont graduate? I can't think of that. <laughs> We've won this one! You're welcome, Great Danes. I went, to, I went to Boston University. We got That's my real school, although I don't have a degree. <laughs> I've told that story. But uh, we had uh, Gina Davis, uh, Bill O'Reilly, and Martin Luther King. So, kind of pick your, you know, got a nice variety there to choose from. Um, we're actually short on time. We only got to one. I'm going to give you another icebreaker yeah, yeah, yeah. before we run out of time. Pick another number, one to one to sixteen. Uh, what was the what is the the most surprising election night you ever covered? Biggest election night surprise. Bloomberg twenty third. Bloomberg, I think. Two thousand nine. No, no, no. I think I think it was twenty thirteen when the Times immediately went up with a story. Saying it was a landslide, and then took the story down to say that it was much closer than, than no, it was. Two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Thompson almost beat him. Sorry, I was, I was getting the issue confused. Yeah. So to me, that, that was the most shocking one, because um, it was much closer than people were expecting, including myself. But I, I remember being on the floor of whatever convention hall it was, and the Times had gone up and then went down and like re- rewrote their story one more time before going back. On I was I, so I was at the Observer at that point. That yep. was just before I left. <clears throat> they pushed me out. And, uh, Can I tell a story about that? Go ahead. <laughs> I, only because you mentioned it. I am a reporter. That's the only thing I do. When they had a new management at the Observer, I went in. Uh, the person had said, "Guys, I have an open door. Just come in and just give me your feedback. All the kind of stuff." And like an idiot, I, I took this person up on his offer. I come in and I said, "We have a guy in Albany named Jimmy Vielkind. He's fantastic. He's great. You never see him. Keep him." 
We have a guy named Steve Karnacki. He writes about national politics. He's never in the office. You never see him. He's great. Keep him. Thank you. Was my advice followed? No. Well, half of it was. <laughs> let's just say it wasn't. And let's just say the two people who I, who, who I said, let's keep them, have gone on to bigger and better things. The person who did not listen to my advice is an editor at a publication that people who follow national politics may not have heard of. You said it, not me, but I'm not going to... I'm going to say thank you for that. That, that was... Uh, but, but that was... Uh, yeah. My story, though, was it was election night um, 2009, and I was in the Observer office, and I remember I was the only one there. Yep. I mean, you were out covering it, and I was like... They had me maintaining the election night live blog. <laughs> we still did those, right? And I remember Josh Benson was our editor, and... The great Josh Benson. Yes, and he started Capital Political New York, and, and I remember... I'm looking at the returns, and it finally reaches the point where I'm like, Bill Thompson could actually win this. Yep. And nobody had thought, and, I, and I'm frantically trying to call Josh because I'm like, <laughs> I think, I think we might have like the upset of the century here. We gotta yep. like, you know. And by the time I, I wasn't getting through to him, by the time I got through to him, it was like, okay, he's gonna eke it out. Yeah, it's gonna yeah, be you know four oh, points or whatever. There, but there were some nervous people all around New York City, like, wait, what the hell? What yeah. the hell's going on? So yeah, and that was one of those too. When he looked at it afterwards, I was like, wow, knowing this now, we could have covered this thing very differently. And because I remember, yes, Thompson's people writing to me and oh it's really closer look at our internal poll yeah. I was like yeah 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 Absolutely. you guys are going to lose by next question know, I'll give you another one uh, give me your must follows on Twitter uh, I'm going to say Dana Rubenstein colleague of mine at Capital uh, at, at Politico New York um, there's a woman uh, named Daniel at DNA Info whose last name I'm, I'm going to just butcher if I even try it Shalakin or something other. she's very good very smart um you know, uh, I'm I'm pausing only because so, so many reporters I follow, like like we're all swimming in the same pool. Um, oh, J- uh, Jamil Smith, who's now at the New Republic. Sure, yeah, our former colleague at MSNBC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he 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 writes about more national stuff th- th- than I read, but I learned from him where, where a lot of stories are developing. Um, top five. Oh man, all. Like I feel well, like it'd be five. I just said you're must follow. But if you want to make it five, make it five. Uh, um, oh, uh, Harry Siegel at, at the news, because he writes about policy, but uh, and politics, and he's usually ahead of the curve before people are reading about it in the front page of the Times. He usually has something there. And um, oh, Jack Buer at the Village Voice, who's the managing editor there. He doesn't tweet as often as he should, but when he does. Uh, it's an alt-weekly that has had struggles in the past, but it's quintessentially New York. And to not read it, you're missing something. And he's one of the people who's, like, shaping the coverage there. Those are good ones. Let's do one more. Uh... Long walks in the park, favorite color blue. <laughs> Can you leave the house in the morning without showering? What reporter can't? <laughs> <laughs> Today I did not, but oh, see, so you can. It's no, good. no, but um, but I, I, I do have a, a compulsion with a nearby coffee shop, uh, a, a co- coffee shop near me that I have this like gravitational pull to go in there and get an almond latte in the morning and to like have this like moment of zen. Where you need your you need your caffeine fix every morning. Yeah, but it's it, it's like a quiet space that I get to like set things in order in my head. That's my walk to the subway. I get a ten minute walk to the subway every morning. And that's where I can clear my head. 
yeah. and I get into work and I complain to Adam and Casey, our other co-worker, about how terrible my commute was. And they inform me that I'm the only person in New York <laughs> who has trouble commuting to work in the morning. So, Yes, the um, only New Yorker would have had commute, Steve Vernacki. Let's finish with this. Uh, yeah. Our new feature is <clears throat> every week I want to ask the guest a question that last week's guest Oh, I, I, I like this. You have to this is like this is like I stole a, from somebody. Yeah. Uh, Jody Avergan at uh, who's another person to be to, to follow him. Uh, former Brian Lehrer producer does Ask Roulette. I, I believe it's called okay. where where people ask each other revolving that's, questions. Yeah, maybe yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. I stole it from somebody. I, I have there you go, Jody. Original ideas. But so he so last week Joe Weisenthal uh, from Bloomberg said, "What keeps you up at night?" I thought it was a good question. Um, man, like, so, so the, the, the first answer is like, the, the answer at the front of my mouth is the newsletter, because I literally have to like do that and make sure it's... You do the, the playbook for New York, right, the, okay. Right. Um, no, but I, I, I also, to be very honest, like, I get very happy when I'm busy, but there's a part of me that says, man, I didn't, I didn't have dinner with my friends someone I didn't see like a significant other you know and 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 while I'm like rushing to get a story to get something and I'm 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 at one point excited and happy and I'm thrilled and another point there's like a little bit of sadness like oh I don't have this normal life where you get to sit down on the table and like share part of your life with someone else so that balancing of like work and life like I'll be very honest like that will keep me up at times and you know, which is part of what makes me go to the coffee shop in the morning to like reset and make sure I have my priorities straight, uh, a checklist, you know, so I know what I'm doing, so I don't let the day bleed on. Um, so it's those things, like like very practical. Like, is the newsletter done? Do, do we get this email and everything? And then the bigger stuff, like and deeper stuff. Yeah, sorry. That, that's what happens when I have like half a cider. <laughs> have a couple more, you'll sleep better tonight. That's, <laughs> that's exactly um, it. And so now this is it. You got to give a. We don't know who the guest is next got it, week. Got so it. What, what's the? And you've seen this could be as dumb as do you brush your teeth and as deep as one you just answered. So take your uh, um, take your best shot. I would like the next person to ask. We don't know if it's a reporter or if it's a person in politics. It's probably going to be a reporter. I, I, probably. There's an eighty-five percent chance probably. based on our. We're trying to get Charlie Wrangle one of these weeks, but you know he. Brent Musburger and Charlie Rangel on our wish list. <laughs> Let me just. Oh, and Biden. We want to get Biden. We think this would be a good natural setting. <laughs> Rangel has once been described to me as a person who's unavoidable for comment. So there's a very good yeah. chance you, you, you will get him. Um, although leaving Northern Manhattan for him might, might, might be the challenge. You guys might, might go on location. Yeah. Um, the question I would like the next person to answer: um, If they were to stand up and leave this table and never step foot in the world of media or politics again, if, if they left it right now, what is the one thing they would, they would look back on with pride? With pride. With pride. Regret with pride. Like, like, Ooh, go, like, go both ways. I like that. I, you know, I have an answer for, for, for myself. Like, like, one of those, like, one of the things I'm most proud of is uh, I, 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 I'd like to take uh, credit for discovering... Uh, Gloria Pasmino, a colleague of mine at Politico New York. She had worked as a camerawoman, ran into her. I was impressed with her tenacity. Um, and when Politico New York was expanding, I sort of invited her to apply. 
And then I tried to scare her out of applying by telling her it's like it's a low-paying, hard-working job, many hours. She's someone who you could just describe as someone who does not have a traditional like you know background in, in journalism. She she did some reporting, but camera camera people don't normally become reporters in City Hall. She ignored my warnings, applied, got the job, had a learning curve like we all do, and is one of the best reporters covering New York City. And in addition to someone having a good job that they can have a good life with, she's contributed to like a base of knowledge about New York that I think is unique. And I feel like I had a very, I feel like I had a small part. If I can allow myself to be like braggadocious, you know, whatever, I feel like I had a small part in getting her, in, in having New Yorkers experience and enjoy her great reporting. And if I left tomorrow, I would say, you know what? There's Pasmino who's doing great stuff and That's like. Great. That's fantastic. If I left tomorrow, I'd be proud of the uh, season two episodes of The Sopranos that I wrote. So <laughs> I thought those were That's my awesome. That was my finest, my finest work. A couple of good Boardwalk Empires though too. But um, anyway, Ozzy Pabra, this was really fun. Yes. And that's a great question for next week. We were going to find a guest, or maybe it's two weeks from now. We've been doing these more like every other week now. I got this new, the new responsibilities at the network, and Adam understands oh. this too. So we're Monday to Friday now. So. It's a little tougher to do every Monday, but Steve we're going to... Steve so corporate now. We're going to, yeah, yeah, with my... Remember, remember, remember when we do, we do Meerkat podcasts, like, you know, every week, and now it's like every now two... It's every other week, man. and yeah, it's... it's the go back to your changing. Go back to your Vermont roots and, like, start doing yeah, this every right, week. Come on, right. man. <laughs> going to go teach school at my alma mater. That's, that's, and coach the basketball team. Um, Ozzy, thank you for joining us, and... Uh, Adam Naboa, our producer. I don't thank you every week, but I want to say thank you to Adam Naboa. Me too. Merrick Nelson. He does the camera work for us. He gets uh, carpal tunnel syndrome holding that thing up. Thank you, Adam. Ann Thompson, thank, thank you. Thank you. Brian Duffy showed up. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for watching. We'll see you soon.